Welcome to episode 11 of Hoops with Book and Cheed. We start off today's podcast talking about the Heat's come from behind victory over the Celtics in game two. And we touch a little bit on some of the drama that seemed to transpire in the Celtics locker room after the game. Marcus Smart getting a little angry at his teammates for not having enough effort. Then we move on to do a quick preview of Lakers Nuggets Western Conference Finals, a series we are all very excited for. And then finally, we finish up with some quick hitters where we added a new segment um, where we do a little Q&A with feedback that we've gotten from listeners either on Twitter or um, just via text. And then, of course, we finish up with an Olympic team uh, today doing Team Oceania, Australia and New Zealand, which is a, a boomer heavy team, but fun to talk about nonetheless. So thanks for joining us and enjoy the podcast. All right, it's uh, Friday morning slash afternoon after Celtics Heat Game 2, getting ready for Lakers Nuggets, and we're back. Um, should we start with Celtics Heat, as painful as it may be? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Uh, you wanna give us, why don't you give us a recap of what happened? Sure, uh, 106-101, Heat win. They're up 2-0 uh, in the series. Celtics were up as much as 17 points uh, late second quarter, early third. And then they basically stopped playing basketball for the last six minutes of the third quarter and got down eight. And then, you know, the fourth quarter was back and forth, but the heat executed down the stretch, which, um, which is what they seem to do all the time. And now they're up 2-0. And they have two home games coming up, which actually may be a blessing for the Celtics, who have, who have uh, now lost their last five home games. Uh, and and have won their last six road games in the playoffs. What talk about a crazy year? Yeah, uh, you know, no real home court advantage in the bubble. Uh, um, yeah, no. I mean, it was it, it was a good game. I think the one thing. I don't know, do you want to do you want to start with Celtics or Heat? Because I think that that changes what I want to talk. Uh, about. Let's start with the Celtics. Okay. Um, so what's, what's the first thing that jumped out at you? It was lazy and sloppy in the second half, I would say. Like, it was pretty much an effort and execution problem for the Celtics. Like, they allowed 11 offensive rebounds. They had 20 turnovers. They allowed 26 points off those 20 turnovers. They got frustrated, took bad shots and they didn't sprint back on defense. And, the, you know, the Heat zone, you know, helped to cause some of those problems, but they just, they just like, lost all composure and focus in the third quarter, and they got their ass, ass kicked. Yeah, it continued a little bit in the fourth quarter, too, and I think two big plays that I saw down the stretch that kind of embody what you just talked about was – one where Butler stole the inbounds pass, where it's just like you got to be able to inbounds the ball from from underneath the hoop without a steal. And then the second was uh, when the Heat took a, a shot with less than a minute left and Bam got the offensive rebounds pretty easily. It's like he wasn't even battling. The ball kind of landed in the middle of the court and he just got the offensive rebound. And obviously, if anyone's been paying attention to the news, you saw that this kind of culminated in a huge blow up in the locker room after the game where Marcus Smart left the locker room yelling expletives and guys were upset and obviously downplayed it a little bit after, after the game and the press conferences. Um, But then apparently there was a 1am meeting between Brad Stevens and, 
Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown to to work through things. So uh, personally, as a big Marcus Smart fan, not that I think he's a perfect player, I think it's it's a needed move for him to kind of get into his guys and be like, hey, this this wasn't okay, which is uh, you know giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm assuming that's what he was saying because uh, Marcus Smart is never lacking for effort. But I don't. Do you have any any other thoughts on that part of? the sort of Celtics saga. Yeah, I was fine with it. Like I, it felt like it feels like they need to play with more energy. And I mean, maybe it's not the best way to go about doing that, but like, you know, these guys are, you know, frustrated with how they've been playing. And sometimes you get pissed that, you know, this isn't a team that has had any real chemistry issues in the past. So I think it's more just like anger boiling over with how they played more than anything else, but we'll see. They need to play harder in game three. They need to game three. Um, but, you know, there was there was good moments for them um, in terms of the first half. They, you know, they really dissected the zone well um, and played well. But like some I said, some great canter minutes. Yeah, some very solid canter minutes until the second half when the Heat realized you could just roll, run a pick and roll at them any time and it's an automatic layup. Um, but, you know, some mistakes in the half court, I think, you know, uh, especially Kemba gets – his head turned around looking at help and Duncan Robinson caused lots of issues for the Celtics here, made six threes. And then the second half, like I said, with the pick and roll, it was a pick and roll with the only guy on the weak side being Duncan Robinson. And so the Celtics were not helping off him. And it was just a layup and dunk party for bam in the Mm -hmm. third quarter. He had 15 points. So, um, you know, I really think it's the Celtics are frustrated because, you know, they had two very winnable games, two games they could have, definitely pulled out and um, you know, but they're down 0-2. The good news is there's no home court advantage. Uh, and hopefully they get, they get Gordon, Gordon Hayward back, which I think will help them a lot, especially against the zone. Yeah. I think it, you're right about that. Hayward has really good control of just like his dribble. And he's one of those guys that, you know, if you watch him in the pick and roll, he'll get a guy on his back and kind of probe into the lane almost in, in the way that, that Dragic does. And so I thought the Celtics did a much better job in the second quarter, obviously penetrating the zone and, you know, kicking out and, and getting easier looks. And then that evaporated in the second half. And so I think getting Gordon Hayward back could help quite a bit with that part of it. And also may allow them to go small more and play a lineup where Tatum is essentially the five. Um, that's something that uh, Jonathan Charks wrote about this morning on the ringer was them trying to go smaller so that they have more of a ball mover in there in the middle, whether it's Grant Williams or going to that super small lineup if they get Hayward back. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's right. I think they're taking advantage of the fact he'd are the fact that, you know, with Tyson on the floor, he's not going to be a great ball mover and he doesn't create too many problems on the offensive glass, which is where Cantor really showed up well in the first half. But again, the defensive problems are too severe there. So you know, I think moving forward, it'll help the Celtics to get Hayward back. I, I'm going to guess he plays in game three just because of the situation and he upgraded doubtful before game two. So I'd expect to see him play at least, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, um, especially because like, the starters are just running out of gas here. And I think that was the real issue down the stretch was that just the Heat have had fresher guys, you know, 42 minutes for Tatum, 39 for Jalen, 38 for Smart. And then on the Heat, no one played more than 36 minutes. So there was... They were more well rested, and it and it, uh, it showed in the last you know three minutes or, or or whatever. 
Yeah. So speaking of the Heat, uh, should we should we talk about them? I mean, what did I think maybe the first thing to talk about was their zone and and why it is so effective in giving the Celtics fits. Yeah, um, zone's been really good. Um, it's a little bit weird because the the length's up top, so the better defenders are up top. It's it's Derek Jones Jr. and Butler at the top. Usually, um, two of them are in, and then it's you know if it's Hero Robinson and Dragic, pretty much two of those guys. Uh, guarding the corners and then bam in the middle um it creates issues because basically all the guy like you want to attack and then you want to get you know easier shots or easier drill presentation from the top but that's hard with the length and good defenders that he'd have so they're basically making you try to attack corners which one is harder but two basically all the, the corner defenders need to do is is force you baseline and then bam's going to step up and you're going to be like defended on all sides and again, with the length up top, they can Butler and Derek Jones Jr. can kind of zone up the top of the, the floor and guard any cutter to the rim, but also extend back out to shooters. So it's a different look of a zone than you usually see, um, which I think is why it's giving, it's giving the Celtics more trouble than the, than the Raptors zone did, just because, you know, with Van Vliet and Lowry at the top, you know, it's easy to catch and shoot over them. It's easy to throw passes out, you know, dribble and kick out easier, um, more easily. So I think... I think it's allowing the Heat to, you know, not let the Celtics get comfortable. It's not that the quality of the shots Celtics got are horrendous. It's just they're they're not getting the normal shots that they they like. I think, um, which is you know, most of the battle. I feel like in the NBA. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where uh, running a weird or different defense can certainly throw teams out of a rhythm. Not to like be that guy, but if I harken back to my own high school basketball days we certainly had an athleticism deficit in most of our games. And so we ran this wacky one, two, two zone that like, if you a good, if you're a good team, you could easily pick apart if you ran good offense, but most teams I think prepare for at the high school level, two, three or man to man. And we gave people so much trouble. They just had no idea what to do against like a wacky zone and obviously quite a different circumstance here, but I think a similar thing where, the, the weirdness of it is just giving the Celtics fits. Yeah. And I think, look, this is what you do. I think, and this is something that nurse did it well, is that like there, I think the Celtics will eventually figure it out, but I think Spolster will ha- will then adjust something else. Right. Like, it's just like, I don't think the zone is, is necessarily what's killing the Celtics. I think it's the lack of discipline they're playing with against the zone and that that's not going to last forever, but you know, as soon as they figure it out, there'll be a new defense or a new thing that, that Spolster goes to. And that's sort of what we've yeah. seen throughout the playoffs, right? It's just like, you can't just show teams the same look over and over and over again. Cause like, then they will, unless, unless you're Doc Rivers covering a Nikola Jokic pick and roll. Yeah. And you can do it. You're just going to fail doing it. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that's the, that's really been the key for the heat defensively. Um, and then offensively, Honestly, I think a thing that we haven't been talking about enough is just how well Goran Dragic is playing. Like, right. like I think he's been like a, I, I think he's been the Heat's best player. Um, yeah, what he had like twenty nine in game one and then twenty five in game two. Yeah, and efficiently and making tough shots. I mean, especially down the stretch, right? Uh, he got two free throws on, a, you know, a block charge call that I don't know what's a block and a charge. It was, you know, questionable, but it wasn't necessarily definitely a charge. And then he hit a tough step back three over a contest from Tice and he hit a tough step back two over a contest from Tice and he got to the rim some and he threw lobs to Bam Adebayo, right? He's just like, he's playing at a level that I don't think we've seen 
from him in a few years, which is certainly, yeah. certainly helping them. Um, and then again, uh, Duncan Robinson was unbelievable tonight. Six of 12 and three, a lot of difficult. Four, four for five and later four for, he started off four for five and hit some tough ones. Yeah, exactly. And then, and, and part of the thing is like, the key with that is that like you make your first four, like, yeah, maybe you'll get tougher looks, but like he, causing so much like of an issue in the second half just because he's out there and you can't leave him so it's like they got dunk after dunk after dunk in the third quarter because guys were too concerned about leaving him to guard bam at the rim yeah Um, no i mean gravity is a thing and that's that's one thing that i thought of during this game is like i don't know people complain about the how the three-point shot has impacted the nba and is it too much of like the rockets and the warriors where you just shoot a thousand threes maybe less so the warriors but i think one thing that it has made fun is that like guys like duncan robinson can be lethal weapons in the nba because he's six foot eight he has a lightning quick release and he's an incredible shooter yeah um and so it's interesting it feels like the celtics have been getting beat and Jimmy Butler hasn't really been too much of a factor. You know, he had 14 right. points in this game. He was good. He made some good defensive plays. But, like, the, the Heat plays such a style. It's such, a, like, an equitable style of basketball. And, and, you know, everyone gets touches, and the ball just finds it. Man, that, like, it doesn't really feel like they're ever force-feeding anyone unless, like, Butler needs to make a shot at the end of the game in a tie game. Other than that, like, they just keep running their stuff over and over and over again. I think it makes them hard to guard, right? Because, like, there's no one to truly key on. Like, you can key on Butler, but like, it's not like he's going to like go off for 30 or try to go off for 30 every night. Um, so they can just beat you in so many different ways that if you make mistakes, they'll capitalize on it, which is what the Celtics have been doing, you know, so far in this series. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. So um, I think all, all great insights there. Anything else you want to add about what to watch for game three? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with the potential return of Hayward being important. Um, and then the Celtics just kind of flat out needing to play better. But um, anything tactics wise that you'll be watching out for? Yeah, I'm interested to see how they attack the zone Celtics. I assume it'll get Hayward in the middle and try to attack that way. Uh, also, how they cover the pick and the pick and rolls with Bam. Um, you know, that needed to be better. And I just think more attention to detail. You know, I just think I just think it, the Heat are a very good team and they're just going to make you earn it um, with 48 minutes of effort and 48 minutes of focus. And I think the Celtics have, you know, played between 24 and 36 minutes of, you know, focus and effort basketball and the Heat have just been more steady. And that's why the Heat have won. So the Celtics need to just play steadier basketball, um, you know, and be smarter. And I think, you know, the series is by no means over. We just saw this, you know, we've seen the Nuggets come back from 3 1 twice. We've seen, you know, the Raptors were down 2-0 and then forced a game seven, stuff like that. So it's not over. It's just the Celtics need to sort of regroup and refocus and, and play smarter and play better. Yeah, I think you're right. We'll, we'll see what happens game three. So what, that'll be on Saturday? Yeah, Saturday, like Saturday, Saturday, Saturday night, yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, should we switch gears here and talk about the game that we have coming up tonight? Western Conference preview, baby. Lakers versus Nuggets. Yeah, Lakers, Nuggets. Uh, let's start with the Lakers. Uh, okay. Defense, I expect them to start like KCP on Murray, probably. Danny Green on Gary Harris. LeBron on Jeremy Grant. AD on Millsap. And McGee on Jokic. Um, I'd expect AD to stay off Jokic for most of the beginning of these games just so he doesn't get in foul trouble and then you know later on i would you know i wouldn't be shocked to see a lot of ad guarding um Jokic. i guess the big question for me is how many true 
true center minutes do they play? Um, right. They went mm-hmm. completely away from it because of the rocket style, but you know, do, do you think we'll see a lot of Howard and McGee? Do you think we'll see, you know, 30 yeah. minutes a game with Howard and McGee? Like how much AD at center do you, do you expect to see? It's a good question. I think a lot of people focus on more the offensive side of the ball when answering this question in terms of like the advantage that playing Davis at the five can bring because it allows for more spacing. And I think that's very real, but the bigger question is almost what, what will tip the scales more having uh, a big who can give more fouls in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, who, you know, despite their age are both relatively mobile guys. So I think we'll be able to give Jokic some trouble, but there's also the, like, if you're going to start throwing doubles at guys, um, having quicker, more mobile guys on the back end to do all the like scrumming and switching that the Lakers did so effectively against the Rockets. And so honestly, I think, my guess would be they definitely give like JaVale the kind of first six or seven minutes of, of each half. And then I would expect at least in game one Vogel to try to push the center minutes up to 25, 30. But my guess would be by the end of the series, like Davis is playing two thirds of the game at center. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then I guess, from the Lakers' plan of attack on offense, like it, it feels like the main move here is to just hunt mismatches. So you know, yeah, for sure, you get Murray switched on to LeBron. You get Jokic involved in pick and rolls. Part of the reason I think you're gonna get a lot more AD at center, like you said, is that like you know the Jokic, the, you know the LeBron AD pick and roll is a lot harder for the Nuggets to guard if Jokic has to guard AD than it yeah. is if Jokic is just standing, you know, at the rim and it's because like. They have the Nuggets have guys like you said like long wings that can switch. So if it's a LeBron AD pick and roll and you know Tory Craig and Jeremy Grant are guarding the two guys, like they can just switch it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they'll just be hot. or even even if Millsap is the guy other guy yeah, involved there. exactly. Um, so you know expect a lot of you know hunting Murray, hunting Jokic and pick and roll. I would imagine plenty of hunting MPJ when he's in the game as well. Um, yeah I mean that's the thing is LeBron James is the best out of anyone in the league at hunting those mismatches if you think back to those series against the Warriors like him getting screen after screen after screen from Del Vadova or J.R. Smith to get him matched up on Steph Curry I think we're going to see a ton of that in this series Um, and so I wouldn't I I, honestly maybe this is like focusing in on one thing but J.R. Smith is a pretty good guard screener and I think Caruso is as well so it'll be interesting to see if those guys like come more into focus because of just literally setting LeBron a bunch of screens because they have a scrub covering them. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the last thing, just I think, you know, the Nuggets do turn the ball over a good amount. So I expect the Lakers to try to get out and run in a way that the Clippers really don't do that much because, mm-hmm. you know, they're just more of a half court team and, I think especially with AD at center, but even with JaVale, who runs the floor well, you can really catch Jokic in trouble, right, on turnovers because he's just not going to be that quick getting back. Yeah, he also sometimes does that thing where he, like, pouts to the refs or tries to, like, steal the ball after he's just gotten it stolen or or shot a bad shot. So I think you're right. You can take advantage of that. Um, The one other thing I would say is, like, look for the Lakers – as much as they love their ISO offense and like hunting mismatches to try to ping the ball around on offense and move it. I think if they watch that Clippers series, 
they will take note of the fact that the Clippers offense just like turned totally stagnant towards the end of games. And I think it's a lot easier for Jokic to like be a decent defender when he's not having to make four or five snap decisions and quick movements on a single possession versus like, okay, there's one pick and roll and that's the only action Jokic has to defend. And then he can just hang around by the rim. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Uh, You want to move on to the Nuggets side here? Yeah, so I think in terms of the matchups on defense, probably see it shaking out a similar way in terms of, you know, Murray on KCP, Harris on Danny Green, Jeremy Grant on LeBron, probably to begin with Millsap on AD, um, and then Jokic on McGee. Uh, One question I would have is, like, who would you expect the Nuggets close – assuming that the Lakers are closing with AD at the five, LeBron, and then, you know, pick three of their kind of – probably five guys of, of the, the guards plus Kuzma. Um, who, who do you think the Nuggets match that lineup with? I mean, obviously it's going to be Jokic and Murray, but who are the other three guys that they trust down the stretch? Probably Gary Harris and then, you know, two other guys. Yeah, I'd guess Gary Harris and Jeremy Grant are probably going to play a lot of those minutes. And then it depends, right? I think you could see Torrey Craig, who has done a really good job guarding LeBron in his career. You could see MPJ if he's playing well. Um, you know, Mill Millsap. Do you have the Do you have the advanced stats on Tory Craig covering LeBron? Might need to get that cleaning the glass. I, I, so he was can... he was LeBron was three of fourteen with with Tory Craig um, guarding him during uh, their last matchup. Is all I know for you. So he's definitely sure. he's de- you know he's the right kind of long athlete. You know, hard worker that will sure. that can, no one can really guard LeBron, but can at least you know try. Um, and then you know I think offensively. For the Nuggets, it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be, you know, pick and roll, pick and pop, <laughs> Murray and Jokic, you know, MPJ getting some shots and then like catch and shoot threes for everybody else. And I guess the mm-hmm. only thing I'm interested to see is down the stretch, like you said, if it's LeBron and AD and then three of, you know, the other guards slash Kuzma, it wouldn't truly shock me to see them put LeBron on Murray and AD on Jokic just so that they could maybe switch that if they wanted to um, down the stretch. Interesting. Yeah. So that was the one thing I'd look for. Um, but I think the, for the Nuggets, right, they just they just keep running their stuff. And it's worked for them so far. Um, you know, last series was a big series for Jokic to dominate. For me, this seems like more of a series where Murray might be able to get going more than Jokic just because uh-huh. of the size. But they've been so good all playoffs that I expect them to just try to do more of the same. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if, like, Murray can kind of have the same – impact on the way the Lakers are playing defense the way that Damian Lillard did and you know if the Lakers have to start trapping like that pick and roll and then Jokic is like the outlet at the free throw line it causes the same problems that we talked about last series where he's just absolutely deadly Um, so that'll be interesting the one other thing that we touched on a little bit but it'll be fascinating to see how Mike Malone handles Michael Porter Jr. in this series Uh, I think the Lakers are like a veteran team that will punish the the silly mistakes that mpj is is want to make um but at the same time like he's got juice especially offensively so uh it i i honestly think in this series it's type thing where his minutes will kind of be pared down to more like 20 25 versus 30 to 35 but um something i'll be keeping tabs on yeah i mean definitely i think it's going to be a lighter minute series for him just because like lebron can just get switches whenever he wants on offense and he'll just He's just going to be merciless with, with MPJ. Um, yeah. I guess, do you have a pr- prediction here? 
Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to say Lakers in six. Got it. I, uh, go ahead. The Nuggets, the Nuggets have obviously battled back, but I just, I mean, to me, I, I was thinking about this earlier. Like, when's the last time LeBron James lost a playoff series that he wasn't supposed to lose? Like, really, the only two I can think of are like the two final series on the Heat that he lost. Otherwise, every single series that he's lost was to like the Juggernaut Warriors. Um, yeah, since you left Cleveland the first time. Yeah. Right. So unless you're, gonna go, incredible. unless you're going to go back 10 years to slander him for losing to the Celtics in 2010, which again, isn't even that bad of a loss anyway, but um, yeah. So I'm going, I'm going Lakers and six. Yeah. I would also go Lakers and six. Like I, I do feel like we need to, I need to give the nuggets a lot of credit. They've been playing very well. Um, and I obviously said they were going to get swept and they won in seven, but uh, <laughs> it just feels like they're going to score enough points here. I just, I'm just not sure they can get enough, get enough stops. Yeah, I think that's right. I think Jokic and Murray are going to get picked on as our MPJ and the Nuggets right now, unfortunately, just don't have quite enough two-way players um, to to be foolproof in a seven-game series against one of the best players of all time. Yeah. All right, well, I, I look forward to that series. I'm excited for it. Um, definitely be tuning in to that game tonight. Uh, should we move on to our quick hitters? Yeah, let's do it. Um... All right. I would ask you for Matt's stats, but uh, it seemed you had little interest in this, so I found one. The Heat had 11 steals, which seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean, just just a lot of chaos with the zone, top of the key. Jimmy Butler and Derek Jones Jr. getting deflections. It was, it was impressive. Yeah. Uh, ridiculous question that's just barely worth asking. I think you had one here. Yeah. Does the long break from the pandemic really help the older players? I just feel like... I feel like LeBron's looked pretty good lately. Oh, uh, you know, just watching Dragic, it just felt like I was watching Dragic from like five years ago, not thirty-four-year-old Dragic who I've seen, you know, the last couple of years be okay, but not anything special. Has been, you know, the best offensive player in the Eastern Conference Finals so far. So, I guess do you think the longer layoff and getting all that time off to rest has helped guys, uh, especially like versus the normal playoffs when you're coming off of a long season? I think so. I think it definitely does like what in the NBA, normally you have like a two, maybe three month, like true break. And then it's back to training camp or whatever. And these guys had kind of three months, like from March to June where they weren't really doing a whole lot. Um, And I think the other thing, especially with Dragic is like, he's one of those guys who probably is like pounding the pavement, playing international basketball every single summer because he's on team Slovenia and like, they care a lot about basketball, but up until now I've only really had like uh, Dragic and then Luca. So um, yeah, I think it definitely helps these older guys to just have like multiple months to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Um, all right. Funny non-sports related thought watching the game. What's up with guys wearing super crazy colored shoes that have like nothing to do with their team uniforms like jay crowder was wearing bright yellow shoes duncan robinson's wearing light blue uh which i guess like sort of fits with the heats miami vice jerseys but not the ones they were wearing last night like jalen brown's wearing these like highlighter green i don't know if you have any thoughts on the the flashy shoes i just think it's players expressing themselves you know i feel like that's kind of we're in the, we're in the player empowerment era of the nba and that, this is player empowerment to a very, very, very slight degree. But, like, guys just wear stuff they like to wear. All right. Yeah. Well, I 
I honestly, it's like, I don't care that it looks different. Sometimes it just looks weird and like not that cool, but uh, I guess who am I to say? Um, ninth man player of the day. So even though the Celtics lost, got to give a shout out to Enos Cantor. Hasn't really played in a while and had nine points and uh, six rebounds and was a uh, plus seven for the game. So yeah, good for you, Enos Cantor. Yeah. Uh, it felt like he had a good first half and then the heat were just like, let's attack him every single play and pick and roll when he's in the second half and he got killed. Um, so that wasn't great for him. I would have gone Derek Jones jr. I don't even know if he had any real stats, but I just thought he was a super positive influence. Um, defensively and we talked about the heat rotation um before but uh iggy and kendrick nunn got second half dnps in this game so derrick jones was the eighth man next to hero and Linux. Ah, that's interesting i wouldn't have noticed that um okay so one segment we wanted to add uh is a little listener q a so we've been getting a little engagement from our listeners both on twitter and then um in the private dms and so uh, two things that we want to talk about here. The first is um, listener and one-time guest uh, Aiden was pushing back on the fact that we said Jokic is better than Anthony Davis. Um, I think he's probably right there. We're maybe being a little bit of prisoners of the moment. Um, the argument I think you could make in favor of Jokic is like his offensive skill set is so transcendent, but Aiden bantered back by saying that like Gobert kind of shut him down, which is sort of true. Um, and then Davis is obviously such a force defensively and you combine that with his offensive talent. It's like, he's probably the better player. So I don't know. Should, do we need to rethink our, who's the second best player left in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question, right? Like I think, I think Davis is like super talented and a super talented defensive player, which makes him probably a better overall player than Jokic. I don't, I don't know like if he could do what Jokic is doing as like sort of the centerpiece of a team offensively. Um, uh, in a vacuum, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's a better player. Because again, it's like this is all matchup dependent, right? Like if if you if Jokic is in a matchup where he can get hunted in a pick and roll all day long, like it's gonna go poorly for him defensively, and it's gonna take a lot of his value out. But like against the Clippers, which that, when that didn't happen, like he was like you know playing like one of the, like the three best players in the world. So um, I think it's pretty close to a toss up. Like, yeah, I'd probably lean Anthony Davis. But it's hard to say because Jokic has obviously gotten much skinnier in the past few months, and I think it's found a new level that I don't know can be sustained, but we'll find out. Yeah, skinny Jokic. Um, the second question, this one kind of gets to, like, Jokic's transcendent skill set. Um, we had a question, like, why doesn't the U.S. produce as many, like, freakishly skilled big men? And I think part of the question was, like, skilled white guys, like international, like, teams do so like why aren't there any like Porzingis's or Sabonis's or Jokic's coming out of the U.S. well I think it's probably two factors one it has something to do with the European style of play I think which which sort of is optimizing around like whole team skill sets as opposed to like a lead dominant guard etc which is how most you know basketballs played growing up and then two I think it's like a lot to do with like the the international like game and how and like how young guys start playing professionally. Like guys play at like sixteen years old professionally, right? Like Luca played professionally at sixteen. And so if you're a big guy, like in the US, if you're like seven feet tall, 
you're 16, like you're just playing against other high schoolers and you just dominate because you're seven feet tall. Like yeah. if you're, if you're playing in, in a professional league at seven feet tall, like you need to find other ways to play. And honestly, you're less strong than like your, your older counterparts. So you need to like make up for that with other sort of, you know, ways of providing value to the team, which I think is, is, is part of the reason why it happens. Yeah. Cause it's, that's no, that's a good point. It seems like the only guys in the U S that you see like that, like the Anthony Davises are the ones who had the late growth spurts and were like point guards their entire lives. And then, had this freakish growth spurt and that's how they became so skilled for their size. Um, or it's just like LeBron James. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Let's uh, move on to our last segment of the day. Um, today's Olympic team. So this one isn't too complicated. Um, we're doing team Oceania. So we have Australia and New Zealand. Um, another great place to, to take a vacation, similar to the Magic Johnson Mediterranean vacation team. Um, so obviously from New Zealand, we have Stephen Adams, who, um, you know, uh, I would say is declining a bit as a player, but still useful. Um, and then lots of guys from uh, the Boomers. So we have Aaron Baines, Jonah Bolden, Ryan Brokov, Del Vadova, Dante Exum, Joe Ingles, Thon Maker, who's from, I think, South Sudan, but plays for Australia internationally. Patty Mills, Ben Simmons, who hasn't seen any action, but says he intends to play for Team Australia. And then um, Andrew Bogut, who I guess technically retired, but he still plays international hoops. Um, and so the, the starting lineup that I put together was Ben Simmons at the one, Patty Mills at the two, Ingles at the three, Jonah Bolden at the four, and Aaron Baines at the five. Thoughts on on that lineup and team? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I would start Jonah Bolden. He's like kind of bad. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, I would probably start like Brokoff or Exum or Delhi and just like let them kind of play the one. Brokoff's not a one, but like. Just yeah, do I mean, more, you have, more you floor have, spacing. You have Simmons cover fours. Yeah. I'd probably start Brokoff. And just he's a really good shooter. And then you have Mills, Ingles, and Brokoff around Simmons. And, you know, Baines versus Steven Adams is probably an interesting discussion right now. Um, if you're playing Ben Simmons, you probably want Baines because he can shoot threes. Yeah. I, yeah, I'd agree with that probably. Um, and I think Steven Adams just looks kind of washed. Yeah. So it's a good team. You know, I think it. Simmons is a great defender. Baines is a really good defender. Ingles and Mills are both solid. You know, they have Exum and Delvadova who are both good on defense. Like, there's not a lot of, like, get-your-own-shot ability offensively, um, which, is, which would be the concern. Yeah. Um, but it's been – I mean, Australia by themselves has been a very good team. Um, for sure. Inter- internationally for a long time. And I think the Ingles-Mills combo is a very – you know, heady group of guards or guards slash wings to, to play with Simmons, who obviously would be the focal point here. Yeah. Do we let them include Jock Landale? Yeah. I mean, Jock Landale's definitely eligible, right? Um, he's Australian guy who played at St. Mary's and plays somewhere overseas now. I don't know where. I think it's um, like Eastern Europe somewhere. Got it. Yeah. Um, definitely. And I think there's probably more guys. Yeah, definitely. They have other guys. I, I was just sort of sticking to the NBA guys, but yeah, th- I'm sure there are more guys in the pipeline who are gonna, you know, provide value to this team. So, 
uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good team. I think it's, it's, it's more well-rounded than a lot of teams we've seen. Um, right. And I think they are probably not great offensively or defensively, um, but like better at both than, than, most, than most teams are. So mm-hmm. I'd expect them to, to cause some problems for teams. Yeah, no, I mean, I think they're probably not in like the U.S. Yugoslavia tier, um, but probably in that group right below it with, you know, Team Canada, Eastern European team. Um, yeah, that I, 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 granted, they were good in these last Olympics um, and like the team aspect of it, you would expect to play a factor. Yeah, that, had, they're just basically all from Australia. They had great, uh, great chemistry. With head coach Brett Brown. I think he's out, actually, per Wikipedia. Oh, wow. They have a different wow. guy. Okay, that's probably good because Ben Simmons is – it would be kind of weird for Ben Simmons to, like, <laughs> go out and play for his fired – his old fired head coach. <laughs> exactly. All right, any, uh, any parting thoughts for folks? Anything yeah. to say before we sign off here? I'm excited for uh, Nuggets-Lakers. I'm excited to watch Jokic. It's just a lot of fun. Um, and then obviously LeBron and AD and all that. So I'm looking forward to that series. And hopefully Celtics heat gets more competitive and we get, you know, at least six games of that. So, you know, it's been a lot of fun in the playoffs and hopefully these series are both competitive. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the good news on the Celtics heat front is like, there have at least been good games, which I guess if you're a Celtics fan is probably makes it even more painful. Um, and then, yeah, Nuggets Lakers definitely excited to watch. I, I feel a little sad saying this, but I think we only have, so much more time with LeBron James left. I think we got to, we got to cherish it. So I'm excited for that series as well. Definitely. Definitely. All right. All right. She, thanks for the time. We'll uh, talk again, probably Sunday, try to release something Sunday night. Yeah. Something like that. All right. Have a great weekend. You too.